Um, we are, we're in our, gosh, 11th week of this little series called True Story. We're going through the book of Luke. Um, real quick, let me tell you why we're doing Luke, okay? Here's, here's the story. Luke was a physician, so he's a doctor. He's, a, he's probably a really good doctor. Um, he's got a friend named Theophilus. How many of you um, would love to have a really rich friend? It's a, so Luke, yeah, Luke has this rich friend named Theophilus, right? And wouldn't you love it if your friend told you this? Um, Theophilus comes to Luke and he says, Luke, listen, here's the deal. All these eyewitnesses, all the people that have been telling these stories about Jesus, they're getting ready to die off. And I'm going to fund your life for the next couple of years so you can investigate these stories and see if they're true. Um, let me see if you can relate to this. Um, how many of you get on Facebook and you see people put these crazy stories on Facebook and you're the person who always goes to Snopes.com immediately? And you check to see if that story is true. And when you find that it's not, not only do you post back on the comment like, you know, it's not true, but you provide the link to Snopes and you also say stuff like, dude, check Snopes next time, right? How many of you are the Snopes person? Anybody here? Yeah, yeah. I, I somehow felt like you might be that person, right? Not in a bad way, but I, I just love that. So we can think of it like this. Theophilus, it's a really weird name. Theophilus was the very first person to use Snopes.com, okay? He's the guy that says, look, it's, these are crazy stories. I've heard them. I'm not sure if they're true. So I'm going to fund Luke for as long as it takes for him to interview people, check out the stories, and come back and tell me if it's true. What I love is, um, if you, you've been to school, you've done reports, right? Like, you know, I've got a four-page paper. I've got an eight-page paper. I've got a whatever many pages paper. Luke, in your Bible, this is the report. Like, you know, picture the movie, right? Some guy walks in, he's got the big report, and he just drops it on the desk. That's Luke. Luke just said, here you go, Theophilus, here's what I found. And what I found is, all these stories that we've been hearing about Jesus, they're actually true. They sounded unbelievable, but they're not. We can believe them. They're actually, they're actually undeniable. Hashtag true story, right? That's kind of where we are in the book of Luke. And we're, we're going to be at the end of chapter 4 today. Um, while you're turning there, we're going to play a little game called Word Association, Right? I'm going to say a word, and you're going to say the first thing that pops in your mind, okay? I'm going to say a word. You're going to say the first thing that pops in your mind. You're, we're family here. You can scream it out, yell it out, whisper it, think in your head. Doesn't matter to me, okay? So um, are you ready? Just one word. You got one shot at this, okay? This is it. The only word you're going to hear. This is word association, not words association. So here we go. The word is bandwagon. I knew it. I knew it. I knew if I could get security over here, please, and escort this man out, um, I knew that somebody would probably say, Panthers, um, let, me, let me give a little, little grammar history lesson, okay? The term bandwagon, here's where it came from. Back in the day, before any of us were ever born, bandwagon, it, it was used to describe, now pay attention, this is hard to follow, it was used to describe a wagon that carried around a band. That was it. It's called a bandwagon. It's a wagon that carried around a band. Now, in today's culture, it doesn't mean that at all. What it means is when something becomes um, it comes popular, fashionable, and people suddenly like it, right? So this season, we've seen a lot of bandwagon stuff, haven't we? 
We've seen a lot of bandwagons up because the Panthers are having this great season. It's crazy to me um, that we're talking about bandwagons today in this passage when the Panthers are going to play tonight in the Super Bowl. We've seen a lot of this, um, but it didn't happen just this year. As a matter of fact, maybe some of you remember this. A couple years back, the Seattle Seahawks got really big because Russell Wilson started playing really good ball. Um, But they got a lot of their fans from people that switched from, like this guy switched from Minnesota to suddenly liking the Seahawks. What's crazy is, I'm not, I'm not knocking the Seahawks, just the way bandwagon fans work. This year, when the Panthers were 11-0, I love this picture, right? Isn't that great? We haven't been this excited since we were Seahawks fans last year, right? People just kind of switch. We kind of go back and forth. As a matter of fact, tonight, after the Super Bowl, this will be true. Because people are waiting to see which team's going to win so that they can then be a fan of that team. And so... Um, that can get confusing, but the good news is I have for your service because I've scoured the internet and I've found the perfect jersey for bandwagon fans, right? Isn't that great? Now, if you've been at the gathering for, oh, well, let's say a week or two, then you know that I really like sports. And so I tend to use a lot of sports analogies. It just makes a lot of sense in my head. I do recognize that not everybody likes sports. Not everybody's into it. Um, some people are into other stuff. I don't know why, but they are. Um, but here's the thing. Bandwagon, if we could make that into a verb, bandwagoning, is, is everywhere. It's not just about sports, right? Um, you, you've seen this with people like a band gets popular, right? And, and you followed this band. You were a roadie before anybody knew they were even on the road. And you were like, I'm a true fan. And then they got big. And then everybody liked them. And you're like, you're not really a fan. You know, I mean, we do it all the time. Fashion. I mean, I, I didn't want to say a lot of trends that people follow in fashion because I didn't want to embarrass anybody if they were actually following that trend. But we see it all the time. Let the right person come out wearing pants up to here, although it's cool here because I got those awesome socks on. And then suddenly everybody's doing it, right? I mean, we, we bandwagon all the time. And, and not just in culture, not just in fashion. I mean, we bandwagon in church. You've seen this, Right? Like suddenly you, you discover like this preacher you've been hearing in his podcast or her podcast, it gets blown up. And now everybody's listening to it. We do it all the time. We, favorite speakers, favorite books, favorite, we do it all the time. Even in church, we have bandwagon fans. And I say all this because in Luke chapter 4, we're going we're gonna to see, we've been meeting these characters all the way through Luke, right? So we've met like, you know. John the Baptist and Jesus and their parents, and we, we, you know, we meet all these people. Today we're going to meet the crowd, right? Is that cool? We'll just call them the crowd, the bandwagon crowd. We're going to meet them. They're going to show up in this passage. And, and what we're going to find is they're a part of Luke's story from here until the very end when, I don't want to, like, spoiler alert, I don't want to ruin the whole, the whole story for you, but at the end of the story of Luke, the bandwagon fans are going to do what bandwagon fans do. They're going to jump off the Jesus bandwagon, and they're going to kill them. Just so you know, okay? That's kind of where we're heading. I just ruined the whole thing, but whatever. Um, so I'm going to read for you really quickly. I'm going to read uh, Luke chapter 4, 31 through 44. It's going to make a couple points, and then we'll go, we'll go eat lunch before we come back here and eat tons of hot dogs. So Luke chapter 4, verse 31, says this. Then he, Jesus, went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath he began to teach the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his message had authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit. And he cried out at the top of his voice, Ha! That's a weird way to start, but that's what, he, that's what he led with. 
What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now listen, we say this phrase a lot here. That we tend to, in today's culture, read the weird out of the Bible, right? Like we just read a, a verse about a dude sitting in church and screaming out at the top of his lungs. Ha! Now just imagine if that happened here. So if you imagine it happening here, you're like, dude, that's weird. Well, it was weird here too, right? I mean, don't just gloss over that. So let's see what happened. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. And then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. My family and I last night watched Ant-Man. Yeah. All right. We have a fan. (laughs) But I'm going to talk about it, and they're going to think it sounds amazing, and the bandwagon fans are going to jump on with us. Yeah. So we're watching Ant-Man last night, and when I read this, when I read this, <laughs> when I read that verse, like, you know, the demon comes out and throws the man down, I just kind of picture in Ant-Man, he's like really, really, really tiny, and he's throwing these big eyes all over the place. That's kind of how I picture that little verse. Anyway, it sounds like a great movie, doesn't it? Okay, well, let's just keep going. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. That was, so verse 36, all the people were amazed and said to each other, what is this teaching? With authority and power, he gives orders to evil spirits, and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. So Jesus left the synagogue went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. That in and of itself is a miracle, right? Depending on how you're, you get along with your mother-in-law, the fact that she had a, a fever, and, and Simon's like, please help her, right? That's, that's amazing. And so Jesus did. He bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And then she got up at once and began to wait on them. Ah, and now we see the reason. They were hungry. Heal her fever so she'll fix us dinner. When the sun was setting, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness. And laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So when we read through that, that passage, it only takes us two verses to get to the real heart of this story. And that is, that second verse says this, they were amazed at his teaching because he His message had authority. Authority is the key of this whole passage. Like, do you see it when you read through there? Like, you kind of get this sense of, like, this dude's rocking the power thing, right? Like, demons are jumping out of people, and he's healing this, like, his mother, Simon's mother-in-law's fever, and more people are coming to him. He's healing everybody he touches. I mean, you just read and go, power, power, power. Wow, that's amazing. And so what we've got to do is this. We've got to make sure we understand what authority really is, because we tend to confuse authority with power. And I don't want you to do that. I want, I want to make sure we don't confuse man's power with God's authority. So let me just see if I can help you understand what authority looks like. And here's the best illustration I can give you. You're driving along the roads of Stanley County, right? You kind of, you got the music on, you're singing, you're kind of like losing track of where you are. Hopefully you're not on your phone, but maybe you kind of notice a notification, you kind of look over and you look up and in the middle of the road is a man or a woman and they are wearing a uniform, and there's a badge right here, and there's a gun right here, and their hand, their hand looks like this. And what do you do? You stop, right? Why? You stop because the, the police, police have authority. 
They actually don't have the physical power to stop your car. You could overpower them, just run over them. But they have the authority to stop you. That's the difference between authority and power. It's a really big difference. Okay, here's a couple more ways for you to see it, just to make sure you see the difference. Power is taken. People fight for power, but authority is received. Power is based on who has it, but authority is based on who gives it. Power intimidates, but authority empowers. And then I love this last one. This is my church history coming out. I've seen so much of this in church. Power is loud, but authority silences. Here's what I mean by that. You can see just from some of those definitions, power is very man-based. You see what I'm saying? It's very man-based. I've been in church enough to see, like, people in, in American church, a lot of times what's all happening. I'm not just knocking American church, but it's, it's our context, right? So somebody maybe comes to the front, and they want prayer. And so somebody, we'll call him a yahoo, walks over, and will, like, put their hand on them, and we'll just start praying, and it gets louder and louder, and sweat's pouring everywhere, and they're spitting all over that person. I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen stuff like this, but I have. And I was in a service where that was happening, and I'm kind of like, what? The what? Like, what? And the guy next to me said, I don't think Satan's deaf. Good point. Maybe that lady is. I don't know. I mean, that person was like really into it. And they were like that person trying to make themselves really, really big, right? Powerful. But then I've been on mission trips to other countries where I've watched like men and women this tall, like just point their finger at somebody way up there, really tall. And all they say in a really soft, normal voice is, in the name of Jesus, stop. And guess what the big person does? They stop. And you're kind of like, dude, teach me how to do that. I can think of a million uses for that power, right? But that's authority versus power. And I don't know why we get this so confused, but we do. We get them confused all the time. The question then is, if we know what authority is and we know what authority isn't, let's ask this question. Do we even have authority? We know that Jesus had authority. We just read about it, right? He just, we see his authority at work in this passage. But do we have authority? So let me give you a couple verses, Okay. Psalm 8, 6. Psalm 8, 6 says this. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. Now, this is a psalmist writing about God. So he's saying, hey, God, you, you, you made things. You have you know, works with your hands. You made things. And you put us, we're the them, we're the rulers over all the works of his hands. There's a lot of authority in that scripture, right? Because he created everything. And then he said, I'm going to make you ruler over that and if, if you hear me say that and you're like that's right I'm a ruler you missed the part about power and authority right you're still thinking power but this is authority God grants us authority uh, Luke 10 19 2 Corinthians 10 8 you can just jot those down you can read those on your own time what you'll find is there's just examples of Jesus giving to disciples giving to his followers the authority to grow the kingdom to do what was necessary to grow the kingdom. We learned, um, we learned this past summer. We talked about um, in, in, um, in the focus series that we did. We're like, hey, what, is, what are we here for? What's the one job that we have? I mean, is, is the one job that we have to have like the best church service ever? I mean, this morning was fantastic. But is that their job? No. The one job we have is to make disciples. To go into all the world, preach the gospel, and make disciples. And so it's hard for me to imagine that Jesus would say, 
to his disciples and to us. I got one job for you to do. I want you to go and do it, but I'm not going to give you any authority to do it. Any of you got bosses like that? That drive you nuts. Your boss is like, I want this report on my desk a week from tomorrow. And they'll give you any resources to make sure that happens. It's, it's frustrating. We don't serve a God like that. When he calls us to do something, he also gives us the authority to do it. And so we have authority. We have authority. The question is, do we use authority the way it's supposed to be used? And that's what I want us to find out. I want us to find that out this morning. Um, just the three things that we see about authority here from what Jesus is, is doing. Number one, if you're taking notes, they'll be up on the screen for you. Authority always attracts. I don't know what it is about, and, and I, again, I'm using power and authority kind of interchangeably. I don't know what it is about authority. People that walk in, and they, you ever, you know, they just walk in, like, they're not jerks about it, but they just command the room, right? Like I think about, I think about Cam. Like if Cam Newton walked in here, you're not listening to me. I'm not even listening to me. We're all doing this. Whoa. That's Cam, right? I mean, there are people that walk and they just command, their presence commands the room. Authority attracts, it attracts attention. There's nothing wrong with that, right? There's a reason why we have bandwagon Panther fans tonight. It's because we're in the Super Bowl a couple years ago, we were in the toilet bowl, right? <laughs> we, did, we didn't have bandwagon fans then. We had people going, need some paper, right? And that's what, it was, that's what it was. And next year, if we're bad again, we won't have bandwagon fans. So we can find another team. Like it, but authority, success, doing good, it attracts people. And so that's what we see this in this passage. So what did Jesus attract? Well, for starters, he attracted a demon. That's weird. We don't, we don't think like that. But that's weird. He attracts a demon. He attracts a demon, and, and the demon comes out saying, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. A couple of verses down, the demons are saying the same thing. You are the Son of God, and he rebukes them. Why did he tell them to be quiet? He told them to be quiet because it wasn't time for the people around him to know what he was there for, because they were still thinking power and authority. They were like, oh, this guy's powerful. He's going to set us free. He's going to get an army together. We're going to kill a bunch of people, and we're going to sit on thrones. That's how they're thinking. But he said, I'm, I'm coming with authority. So the demons, the demons recognize that, and he's like, shh, shh, quiet. If you keep saying who I am, they're going to confuse authority and power. It's not time yet. It's not time yet. He attracts. He attracted. I think it's, it's ironic that the demons confess Jesus as Lord. They probably confess Jesus as Lord um, with more boldness than many of us do. Sad. I throw myself in there. But they didn't have any problem telling everybody who Jesus was. Sometimes we do. Who's the real demon? I'm just kidding. It just felt like something I should say. <laughs> Tune in at 11 o'clock for the news. Who's the real demon? What is wrong with me? I don't know. What is wrong with me? Um, and so it attracted demons. It also attracted people. And I, I love this. Um, these are the first bandwagon fans of Jesus' ministry. So he's in the synagogue. It says in verse 37 that news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. And then when he gets to, his, to Simon's mother-in-law's house, the people that heard about what happened at church that morning showed up there. Because authority attracts people. Listen, the best way that we could ever attract people to our church 
is to walk in the authority that Jesus has given us. And see, still, we struggle with power and authority. So when I say that, some of you are like, but I don't want to be a jerk. But authority doesn't make us a jerk. Fighting for power makes us jerks. But when we, and you'll see, when we use the authority the way God wants us to use it, that's what attracts people. Because they're like, man, something's going on there. Something's different. I want to go check that out. And so it attracts demons. It also attracted people. So the attraction quality of authority is real. And that leads to um, probably the biggest danger with authority. And this is this next point. Authority always attracts, but authority may corrupt. Authority might corrupt. It may corrupt us. Um, I love this. The, the, the word that's used for people's reaction to Jesus is amazement. So it's like in verse 32 and verse 36, they say, and the people were amazed. So the Greek meaning of, of that word is struck out of their senses. It's great. I love that. Hey, husbands, when's the last time we, we, we did something that amazed our wives? You know, I mean, did something so over the top, so unexpected. Our wives were struck out of their senses. I know if you're like me, it was, it was yesterday when you picked the underwear off the floor and put it in the hamper, right? And she was like, oh, I'm struck out of my senses. Good job. Way to go. I'm amazed, right? I mean, like, when, they were amazed at his teaching. They were amazed at his authority. And, and why were they so amazed with Jesus? You can't work with me here, okay? Why were they so amazed with Jesus? They were amazed with Jesus because they were being led by religious leaders who did not have what he had. So he had authority, they had power, and the people were like, we've never seen this. Struck out of their senses, like befuddled would be the word that comes to mind. Staggering, like what, what is going on? I've never, I've never heard of it like this. Authority may corrupt, and here's how we know this, because it corrupted those religious leaders. Because there was a system that God set up that allowed them to be leaders spiritually over the people that they were leading. But they obviously traded authority from God for power over men. And so they set up this system where they could rule over people. They, they'd wear like long robes, really big hats. Please let's not bring this fashion back in. If that's the fashion, I'm not on the bandwagon. They would actually wear like things on their forehead that had scriptures rolled up in it. They would pray out loud in public really, really loud. I mean, it was all a show to show how much power they had. And you can't be like me because you're not one of us. And Jesus came with authority. And the people recognized the difference. Authority may corrupt. Sometimes it does. We've got to fight against that. There's always a temptation to give up authority in exchange for power. And we have got to guard against that. Listen, as our church grows is growing as we, as we leave this building, we move around to this, this building across the street. As we grow, the temptation is going to be to suddenly think that we should make a power play. But that's not why we're here. We're here to love and to serve people, right? So the authority can never be traded for power. It's got to be held pure. We don't want to water down and corrupt the authority like these, these religious leaders did. And here's, here's the last point. Authority should serve. Authority should always serve. Authority always attracts. Authority may corrupt, but authority should serve. People that have power want you to serve them. But spiritual authority enables me to serve you. That's what, that's what happens in this story. I, I love just a day in the life of Jesus. You ready? 
a day in the life of Jesus, and, and I'm in ministry, so I totally see, see what this, this is a crazy day. All that we read happened in one day, okay? So let's just walk through this. Jesus goes to church. While he's in church, crazy man screams out with a really loud voice, and Jesus delivers a demon out of that man. That's crazy. Like if I'm in church today and one of you starts shrieking out loud and I deliver, and I, I like deliver a demon out of you, I'm going back to my house and I'm like putting my feet up on the couch and I'm looking at Wendy going, I need a break, right? Like that was intense. I don't quite know what happened there, but wow. Jesus, first of all, it says that that man, the demon came out and the man wasn't even injured. It says that at the end of, the end of verse 35, it says the man was not even injured. How do we, why wasn't he injured? Because Jesus wasn't in a power struggle. This man wasn't a pawn in a power struggle between Jesus and a demon. Listen, have you ever been the pawn? Have you ever been caught between two people's power struggle? I can think of all kinds of situations where that can happen. And, and that only happens, we get hurt because people are fighting for power. Jesus used his authority to serve this man, delivered a demon out of this man. The demon threw the dude down, and Jesus still ensured that he wasn't injured. That's, that's serving, Right? That's serving, that's using your authority to serve. And then when all that's done and he needs a break, he goes back to Simon's house. And as soon as he walks in the door, there's Simon. All the people going, oh, dude, you're just in time. We're starving. We have no lunch. She's got a fever. Can you heal her? Dude, I just want to watch the game, right? I just want to watch the game. That's not what Jesus said. He could have. He could, what do you mean? Like, you serve me, man. Fix me something. He could have done that. He had power, but he had authority, and he used his authority to serve. So he, he served Simon. He served Simon's mother-in-law. He delivered her from that fever, healed her. And then at, it says in the next verse, when the sun was setting. So after the crazy church service, the showdown at the synagogue, right? And then after healing the, the mother-in-law's fever, when it's finally time to just chill, maybe get some, something to eat, all these people start showing up. When's the day over, right? I thought, when I first read it, I was like, man, that's so good. I'm going to tell people, like, even if your sun is setting, Jesus has time for you. Sounds good, doesn't it? But the reality of this is that they couldn't bring him, they couldn't bring their friends to Jesus until the sun set because they were still following the Sabbath. And so it was against the law to carry sick people in, on the Sabbath. And so they had to wait till the sun went down so they could carry their sick friends to Jesus. But no matter why they brought him, they brought their friends to Jesus as the sun went down on what was already a very long day. And you know what Jesus could have done? Jesus could have said, take a number, dude. I'll be serving the first ten. Hope you're first. He could have. And he could have said, just be happy I served ten. But what, did, what does the Bible say that he did? The Bible says that laying his hands on each one, he healed them. More demons to cast out. I know he's Jesus, but he's got to be getting tired. And at the end of a very, very, very long day, he finally went to sleep. Now, I don't know if you're a new parent or if you can remember when you were a new parent. Did, but do you remember what it was like to sleep when you had a newborn? It was like, it was like you, you, you get, like I can remember with Sydney, we get Sydney down and then we get, we get, we're in bed and she would start to cry. And so you walk in, you pick her up. You rock her back and forth, back and forth, back. 
forth, back. And then she falls asleep. You put her back into the crib, right? Remember this? Do you remember doing this? And then you... Right? You get out of the room, you're like, get out of the room, and then you get in bed. And how many of you know from raising your own kids, when you finally get back into bed, you don't go to sleep. You're more tense than you've ever been in your life. You lay in bed and like, oh God, please don't let her make a sound. Please don't let her make a sound. Please don't let her make a sound. She makes a sound. And when she makes a sound, you just act like you're asleep. Oh God, let Wendy go. Oh God, let Wendy go. Right? Right? Now how you do it? Now, Jesus didn't have kids, but at the end of a really long day, Jesus finally gets to lay down. And, and at daybreak, at daybreak, after hardly any sleep, he goes off to have his quiet time. And the crowd, the bandwagon fans, ambush his quiet time to beg him to stay with them. Now, we're talking about authority can corrupt, right? Sometimes it can corrupt. Imagine that you have become the next big thing. Our church is the next big thing. People are saying, man, I just want to hang out with you. Something about you attracts me to you. I just, I mean, not in a weird, like I want to date you eHarmony way, but I just, I want to be around you. There's authority in you. I want to learn from you. And I just want to be around. Your church has got it going on. I just want to come to your church. What, what happens when, when, when you're that person? When you become the next big thing? Jesus was the next big thing. I mean, his polling numbers were sky high, right? They're going through the roof. Elect him president right now. He's beating every Democrat and every Republican. He's hot. He's got a Twitter account that's blowing up. People are following him left and right. And he says to them, I can't stay with you. See, that, that's the ultimate test of authority, isn't it? When people want you to stay, when they want what you have, when they're making you the big deal, they're telling you how great you are, how if they, they, can't, they can't get enough of you, I'll even buy, for a t- I'll buy a T-shirt from you. I'll, even, I'll sign up and subscribe to your website. I'll do whatever it takes because you're that big of a deal. And when you can hear all of that and you can say to those people, no, it's not why I'm here. It's not why I'm here. I've been sent to preach to everyone. I've been sent to serve everyone. And that's what Jesus did. All of us will have the opportunity to stop serving, to sit back and be served. But that's not what God's authority has been given to us for. Followers of Jesus have the authority of Jesus to do the works of Jesus. And, and if John 14, 12 is true, it's in the Bible, so it is, right? Then not only do we as followers of Jesus have the authority of Jesus to do the works of Jesus, but that says that we're going to do greater things than Jesus did. We don't have authority to sit back. We have authority to step out and serve. And here's why this is so important, because it keeps us from being bandwagon fans. Um, here, here's your big idea. Our authority from God is never dependent on our popularity with men. We, we tend to get that backwards, right? Like the more popular something is, we go, man, that, that, that thing's, that's legit. Not necessarily. As we'll see as we go through Luke, the further we go into Luke, Jesus is going to become less and less popular with men, but he's going to become more and more full of authority. Our authority from God is never dependent on our popularity with men. 
And so chasing power and chasing popularity will make us bandwagon fans. We'll always be jumping ships because, you know, oh, the Seahawks, oh, the Panthers, maybe the Lions. I don't know. Who knows? Never the Redskins, right? But we're always jumping from team to team because we're chasing power. We're chasing popularity. But when we really begin to understand authority, that we already have authority, we'll follow Jesus. Here's the last little tidbit I want to leave you with. This is kind of tease us into next week. So at the end of chapter 4, right, here's what's happened to that point. We're closing. Jesus has been in the synagogue. He's done all this teaching, a couple demon possession, a couple exorcisms, head spinning, whatever. You know, people are out, Ant-Man thing, whatever going on. Um, he's, he's healed his, uh, Simon's mother-in-law of a fever. He's healed everybody else that came that, that was sick. He's done all this stuff. His popularity has never been higher. But guess what he has not found at the end of chapter 4? Any of his disciples. You know why? You'll never find true followers of Jesus in the bandwagon crowd. Never. Isn't that sad? Because it's like, I don't think God hates bandwagon fans. I mean, I think it's okay. I think he understands that authority attracts people. But I, I think he just knows. The reality is, if it's just about the bandwagon... You're not going to be a true follower of Jesus. So, so understanding the authority that we have in Christ, it saves us from getting sucked into this bandwagon mentality. And I'm not preaching this because you've got a bandwagon mentality. We're preaching it because it's what's next in Luke. But man, as we close, I just want to ask you to just to, to kind of close your eyes. And I'm going to ask you to examine your heart while I pray for you. And maybe there is a tendency in you to be a bandwagon fan at times. I don't mean necessarily with the church, but just with Jesus in general, you know? Like, hey, if it's working, I'm t that's good for me, but if it's not, I'll find something else. Sometimes it's not quite that noticeable, right? Sometimes it's a little more subtle than that. But I want you to know this. If you're a child of God, if you're following Jesus, you have more authority given to you by Jesus than you even realize. And the more authority you realize you have, the more you're going to be willing to serve people. And the more you're willing to serve people, the less it's going to be about bandwagons. And the more it's going to be about Jesus. And that's what I want for you. I want you to remember that authority isn't based on popularity with men, but on our identity with Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for allowing us to be here at the gathering this morning. Thank you again for how you moved in our worship service and for how uh, you, you've touched so many of us today. I mean, there's, it's not going to be hard to walk out of here with our heads up and our, our shoulders back, knowing that we walk out not in, not in the power that we have, but in the authority that you've given to us, which means we're going to go sit at, at tables and we're going to be served um, by young men, by young women. We're going we're, we're to be able to pour into their lives because we have the authority from you to do that. We're not going to be helpless when we go to work tomorrow or Tuesday because tomorrow's going to be a national holiday. We're not going to be powerless and, and freaking out when our boss is, is the way that he or she is because we know that we step into that with authority from you. And we have the authority from you to change the atmosphere everywhere we go. And I pray over this house that we would, we would learn from how Jesus handled authority. And that you would examine us, that any, any part of us, God, where we, we are still kind of grasping for power, 
that you would, in a way that only you can, just sweetly convict us of that and give us this hunger, God, to walk in authority and to use that authority always, always, always to serve those around us. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.